0: Uh, get all the levels in. That makes it sound professional, like I know what I'm talking about when I say <laughs> all the levels. I have no idea what they are. Hey, everyone, and uh, welcome to a new episode of High Five on the Road. This time, I'm not really on the road. I'm still in the office, but we are visually or like virtually across the airways, um, and I will have my guest introduce themselves. So over to you.
1: Hi, everyone. My name is Dr. Amy Clymer, and i am a been doing team building facilitation for probably 20 years. What I do now is I have a consulting practice called Climber Consulting, where I work with teams and organizations. I help them be more creative and innovative. So I do a lot around teaching creativity and helping organizations understand how creativity works. Um, I still do some team development, leadership development, but that's kind of where things have evolved to this point.
0: Yeah. And so as we talk about like the evolution for you and you've evolved into this point, if we go back all the way to the origin of the species almost, um, where, did, where did you get your introduction to adventure and experiential education? Was it an experience that you had as a kid or did you not experience this till later in your life?
1: Yeah, I was a kid. I was 16. And I, so I grew up in Florida um, and I went on a North Carolina outward bound course for 16 days oh, cool. that involved backpacking, rock climbing, canoeing, service project, little one night solo yeah. and I loved it. Yeah. I just totally fell in love. And then in college, um, I went to UNC Charlotte, uh, university of North Carolina at Charlotte. And there's a, there a, a pretty robust program, uh, experiential ed program called venture. Mm-hmm. And in fact, they're accredited by the association for experiential ed. And so I started working with them and re- that's where I really developed skills around, um, Understanding how to facilitate ropes courses. Um, I remember one semester, 10 weekends in a row, I led trips. Oh, wow! So, backpacking, canoeing, climbing. Yeah, I also got straight C's that semester.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, too much extracurricular.
1: Yeah, Yeah. right. Didn't do too well in the classroom, but out of the classroom, I was rocking it. Yeah,
0: that's so funny because. For me, I, I remember when I went to college, uh, it was it was the same thing. My my grades didn't do great, but I think like an experience of being away from home and doing stuff that was the extracurricular part um, was the growth piece for me at college. Not the most studious, but <laughs> I think there's a different learning. And so I know I get I got a benefit from doing some of that stuff. You know, what was the piece for you as you were experiencing all of those that like sparked this... I'm going to do this as a career because I think that a lot of people experience those things, and you know we inter- we interact so much with people coming through programs. But there must have been something in you through those experiences that said this is different than what I've experienced in the past. This is where I want to be. So, what was that for you?
1: It actually didn't happen until after college oh, okay. that I had yeah. that, that aha moment. Yeah. If you will. Um I mean, I. I think because I didn't get that it was an option. Mm-hmm. Um, so I went to college yeah. in the '90s, and at that point, I think there were a couple places in the country where you could get a degree in outdoor ed. Yeah. But even though I was doing this, you know, uh, ten weekends in a row or whatever, a bunch, yeah. and even though I saw prof- we had professional staff, like four or five staff that was were working in the program, I still it did not click that mm-hmm. this was a potential career. Yeah. And I was getting a, I got a degree in biology, mm-hmm. and I. Graduated, of course, and then, like maybe within a month, I moved to Washington State to work for the Forest Service. Okay, and so I got out there to Washington State, and it was just like this six-month seasonal job as a stream surveyor.
2: Wow! And it was really interesting. (laughs) Yeah,
1: Um, but it also gave me a glimpse into what that world might be like, as far as working in the field of biology or in the field of forestry, Mm -hmm. and. I was like, oh, I don't know about this. Um I kind of I really missed the the facilitation, the working with groups, like yeah. seeing that development happen. I really missed that. Mm-hmm. And so when that was over, um actually my mom was really pressuring me to get a master's degree. And huh. so Within, I I didn't want to go right away because I feel like I needed to figure some things out. So I got some seasonal and kind of shorter term jobs working in the field of outdoor ed just to test like, okay, what might this look like? Could I actually do this? And then I eventually, um, a couple years later, went to get my master's in outdoor education at University of New Hampshire.
0: Oh, wow. That's awesome. Yeah. I I feel like the same in that, you know, I fell in. To the field. I don't know if there is necessarily a route that's you know I was aiming for this, and so I sometimes feel, and I wonder if you share this, almost a little bit um, guilty when students come and ask for advice because I didn't. I it was very circumstantial, you know. I fell into something that I didn't know. Equally, I did not know it was a field. So yeah.
1: Oh, I feel the same way. Yeah. Yeah, and so, same thing about when people ask for advice. Like, well, tell me about your path. Yeah. Like, exactly. Don't follow my path. I know.
0: I don't know how to follow it. Move to another country. You yeah. Know, right. There you go. Yeah. It's it, it's very hard to try to identify. If you could look back though, and and think of one, you know, maybe one or two pieces of information you could give to a student. What, what would you give you? You've got a different route than me and that you do have formal education. You went in the master's route. I don't have that. I've kind of just worked through the field and just was very lucky, um, to an extent. But what, what, what would your advice give to any students that were saying like, how Amy, how do I start in this field? What, what would you give to them?
1: I think there's two pieces that are important yeah. and one is just getting experience yeah facilitating getting in front of groups i mean there's and that could look in many different ways it could be kids it could be adults it doesn't matter Mm -hmm. um i mean i think ultimately it's nice to have done both or to do both but i i think just the experience of being in front of a group leading a group whatever that might look like and then reflecting on that after each experience like Mm -hmm. what did I learn what did I do well that's actually something I learned through the venture program at UNC Charlotte Mm. is they were really diligent about feedback and learning from the experience after every single event whether it was a weekend trip or a two-hour ropes course Mm -hmm. we sat down and did some sort of debrief of you know what worked what didn't work Um, and so that's where I grew a lot for sure
0: yeah. It's an interesting practice to like, uh, practice what we preach. But in terms of that reflection piece, we do it so often with groups. I worked seven years doing outdoor red and we would reflect with the groups, but we wouldn't internally ever do that reflection. So I felt that I was growing, but when I then transitioned to high five, where we do a lot of that, like internal feedback, we have shadowing and co-leadership of activities and programs that you start to get that more. And then you realize like, Eesh, I didn't know what I was talking about. So it's nice to have that, that feedback loop.
1: Yeah. Um, And I do think it's helpful to formalize it, it, especially like if you happen to have a program mm -hmm. and I've been surprised, I mean, I've worked for probably 10 to 12 different ropes courses around the country. Mm -hmm. And I have seen the, the gamut of ones where I thought, Ooh, I I don't know if you all should be operating this course to like rock stars, amazing, high quality and I, But I've actually been surprised how many programs don't have some sort of feedback mechanism mm-hmm. where, where staff can grow. And they usually have, you know, here's the evaluation for the students. But as far as
0: staff. And we, we struggle with that with as a training organization, trying to make sure that all our clients have that training because we see so much. And, and, you know, I can reflect on myself. When I was there at seven years, I was the challenge course coordinator. I was running that program. I felt I was doing everything great until I had outside feedback. And I'm like, wow, I'm missing so much. And I think that sometimes people equate longevity of time. Like, oh, I've been here 20 years. I've never dropped anyone. There's like a, oh, why should I change? And, but they've, they've stayed at the same location. So the opportunity to see all that, all that stuff, like the 10 courses you saw, gives you the opportunity to say, oh, right. I, I can see much more where people are coming from, see the pros and cons of all this different stuff.
1: So the other piece, um, in addition to experience yeah. that I think is important is, is getting some training and it doesn't have to be formal in the sense of a degree. Right. I don't think you need to have a college degree in, to, in order to facilitate well, but I do think having, you know, learning from people who are better than you. And do whatever that context that could be, um, you know, training through high five or like I do some, I have a new training program that I do for people who are like at that intermediate to advanced level. Yeah. But I think having some training and understanding the field as far as what are the philosophies and theories that are driving the practices that we, we, um, follow. And I think if you can understand that, then you, you could do better at what you're doing because you're not following like this rote methodology. You're like, Oh, okay. I get it now. This yeah. is, you know, so that that's what the training and experience. Are, I think the two things that you need.
0: Yeah. I can vividly picture the people in my past who have influenced and mentored me. Are there people that did the same for you and who are they?
1: Oh, wow. Yes. <laughs> there's many. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, one person who comes to mind is Dan Garvey. So he, um, I met him w- when I was at UNH University of New Hampshire. Mm-hmm. He was a faculty member there. Yeah. And then while I was there, he got recruited by Prescott college and he became the president. Mm-hmm. And then later I had the opportunity to work with him when he, gr- when he retired from Prescott, he became executive Dean of semester at sea for a semester. Mm-hmm. And, uh, my wife and I actually both went and worked under him on the ship, yeah. which is very cool. Wow. And he, um, he, he's an amazing leader, speaker, facilitator. And for me, what I learned, um, or I guess maybe I should say the way I learned from him was by watching him mm-hmm. and watching how he handled different situations and how he responded to things, even as simple as like things in class. And he had, has um, I, I, both a very practical approach to things, but also I think he's a very deep thinker. Like he's thought deeply about things. And he, I, I mean, after my wife and I worked for a semester at sea, there would be moments when we would, you know, something would come up, like one of us was talking about work or some dilemma, mm-hmm. and the other one would say, well, What do you think Dan would do? <laughs>
2: <laughs> yeah.
1: Oh, yeah. because he uh, we had a we had an incident on the ship where someone got injured really bad oh. and ended up being taken to a hospital and uh, in China. So just all sorts of things <laughs> yeah. going on, yeah. and the way he handled that on the ship was just like wow, It just really handled it really well. Yeah. Especially because there were a few students who are um, how do I say? You know, politically polite way <laughs> they, they weren't they weren't at their best selves we'll yes, just say that that's
2: perfect. yeah um,
1: that's so. awesome
0: it it's it's a funny thing to think i i wonder if you reflect on this there so you look up to dan in the same way that i looked up to several people in uh, in the people that have looked after me chris ortiz being one of those for me um that you probably and possibly me i it, imposter syndrome kicks in for all of us but have people that also value or see us as that in that same potential role how do and you especially as you're doing this training program also and you're getting people come and ask you for advice how do you how do you what's your coping mechanism around that do you feel that you're able to deal with that easily the concept of mentoring for me is seems sometimes very overwhelming because of the impact that you might have on an individual. But how do you cope with that?
1: It's interesting. I think it depends on what they're asking on whether or not I would feel that. Mm. Um, yeah, I'm certainly, I have, right. And, and I feel like I've gotten, I I feel it less, Mm. I think. Let me back up. So in 2011, I started my PhD since finished, but The first day of our program, is a very unique program, amazing program. I went to Antioch University.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And the very first day of our program, the director, Lorian and Alexandra, she talked about the imposter syndrome.
2: Yeah.
1: I had never heard of it, yeah. had no idea what it was. <laughs> but before the program began, we all got everybody's bio. So there's... 25 of us in the program. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I'm reading through it. I mean, there was one woman who had run for the president of the United States. And wow. I was like, oh my gosh!" <laughs> there's this like guy who's like CEO, of this like yeah. enormous engineering firm out West and yeah. just like, you know, all this amazing accomplishments. And I think all of us walked into the room having read the bios and feeling like, Oh my gosh. Why am I here? Uh, yeah. Did they make a mistake? And so she just, Lorian just jumped right in and said, okay, let's talk about the imposter syndrome. She explained what it was and she said, I promise we did not make a mistake in selecting any of you. And yeah. we selected you because, you know, blah, blah, blah. We think you're in alignment with the program. We think yep. you have the skills, The you know, all these things. And I had never heard of the imposter syndrome and it was really quite freeing just Mm -hmm. to identify what it was yeah and now i could recognize oh yeah i've felt this like a zillion times in my life yeah and i could feel just by understanding what it was what was happening inside you know internally for me Mm -hmm. then i could kind of let go of it a bit and i felt it less yeah um so i think for me, when I'm feeling that I, the first thing is just identifying that's what's going on. Yeah. And then really just being like talking to my inner voice be like, okay, I don't need you right now. I got this. Exactly.
0: <laughs> yes. Get out of there for a second.
1: Yeah. Get out of here. I, am, I heard you. Move I on. am an
0: expert. I do know what I'm talking about. <laughs> yeah. People ask questions. They're like, why are they asking me? And I'm like, oh yeah, because <laughs> I know what I'm talking about. Yeah. That's awesome. Um, uh Changing tune is slightly um, into some uh, team, and I guess it's it's sort of aligned with that. But in terms of um, developing products for facilitation, you have climber cards out there. Um, how did what was the origin point for climber cards? Where did that come from? Was that a, was that a need that you needed filling, and then you found a source? You know, rather than someone else is going to make this, I might as well make this myself. Um, but what was the origin for that?
1: Yeah, so. I'll just first explain what they are. So climber cards are um, like reflection cards, debriefing, facilitation cards. Mm -hmm. I don't know what the best term is,
2: but
1: (laughs) (laughs) it's like a deck of playing cards, but on one side, they're all images that I painted.
2: Mm -hmm.
1: And on the other side, there's some numbers and shapes that are helpful for various activities. Well, they started because um, I think first of all, I just like to make things. Mm. And so I would say, Let's see. I made them in 2012. Well, that's when they like were manufactured. Mm-hmm. And for several years prior to that, um, I was doing a, looking at a lot of ropes courses, and um, and I just made a lot of my own props yeah. as opposed to you know sometimes like I, the place I was going to. I, I probably worked at five different courses at the same time. Mm-hmm. Some of them were very well stocked, some not. And I just learned bring my own stuff. Yeah. It's easier. Yeah. And I just like making stuff. Well, anyway, so one day I'm at a course and I had made these little tiny cards. They're about two inches by two inches with these drawings on them.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And I have them spread out doing a reflection and after an activity. And the client was a friend of mine. Her name is Sarah. And so we do this activity and we're walking to the next one. And Sarah says to me, hey, Amy, these cards are really cool. Like, have you ever thought about doing something with them? Yeah. I was like, what? Serious? Like, <laughs> you know, I'm thinking they're just like this little thing I did, yeah. you know, sitting in front of the TV. Yep. And her comment just got my wheels turning and got me thinking about, oh, maybe other people would be interested in this. And so I started doing a bunch of research. I found out how to manufacture cards, mm-hmm. which, oh my gosh, trust, even in the last seven years is way easier than it was then. Oh, yeah, I'm sure. And, I repainted all of them because they were just these kind of small, tiny things Um, repainted them spent, I don't know, several months working on that. And then I had no idea if anyone would be interested in them. Mm. And so one of the ways I tested that, well, well, first of all, I I used them certainly locally and shared them with some local facilitators. Like, Hey, what do you think of these? And after some positive feedback, I decided to launch a Kickstarter campaign. Oh, nice. And, So Kickstarter, um, if any listeners don't know is a platform where you're basically like pre-selling something so you can get people to, you know, contribute money. And like, I was trying to get $2,500, I think. And, uh, the, the cool thing is when people contribute money, if I didn't reach my goal of Mm $2,500, everybody gets their money back. Because it's the kind of thing like, well, if I only got thousand dollars, I can't do it. And yeah. so, what am I going to do with this money, yeah. right? So it's kind of a cool like win-win, no risk. Yeah. So I ended up, I, I I put the campaign together, I launched it, and within maybe a day, somebody called me from the local university and said, "Hey, Amy, we saw this campaign, but you the the options for contributing." the maximum is a hundred dollars to get four decks of cards. And we want to get eight decks of cards. <laughs> it's like, wow, there you go. Seriously. What?
2: <laughs> <Yeah>.
1: <laughs> I mean, I immediately said, I will take care of that and, and send you an email. And I, you know, quickly yeah. changed that. So, and anyway, I ended up exceeding the goal of maybe it's like 4,000 or 4,300 or something. Yep. And so for me, that was the, te- the way I tested them to see mm-hmm. would these even sell. And I am like, all right, these are going to sell at least somewhat. So I buy the first batch and I honestly thought that this would be it, that I would sell, you know, these few hundred cards mm-hmm. from the first batch. And then that would have been like a fun little project. Yeah. And, and that's not at all what's happened. It's been every single year. I sell more than the previous year. Oh, wow. They've been, yeah. Um, they've been bought by people on six continents. They've been to all seven continents. They've been used everywhere. Wow. Um, yeah. I mean, I don't know how many countries now have used them, but I would say in the <laughs> 20 to 30 countries, Yeah. because um, the nice thing is there, there's no language. I mean,
2: Oh yeah. It says it's car, but yeah. yeah. <laughs>
1: the images and, and I was definitely thoughtful about that. Like I wanted yeah. to make sure that the images would, would translate at least, you know, as much as I could across, across cultures.
2: Yeah.
0: Is is there any uh, one image, because you painted them all yourself, is there, let's <laughs> see your face. No one can say your face on this because it's already, but her face is shocked.
2: <laughs> like, <laughs> is, oh, you're going to ask me is, about one card? Yeah, one me- card.
0: You remember <laughs> this, this one card? Now, is there any one card that for you is your favorite? <laughs> As you, I know it's all your art. I will, I will just, if anyone has them on them, I can say that my favorite, just to give you some extra time to find yours. Uh, my favorite <laughs> is the giraffe. Um, so, and the reason I like the giraffe, this is r- really realistically silly, is that, um, I have a particularly long neck, which also audio, unless you know me, I have a long neck and, uh, it's like a running joke that my daughter thinks I'm a giraffe. So,
2: oh, how that's, cute.
0: That's why that always stands out for me.
1: That's awesome. <laughs> it's funny. I actually really like the giraffe. I think, yeah. um, I, I've been to Africa Oh wow, a times, That's awesome. Dreaming um, place for me. Oh, yeah, yeah, Never yeah. It's been. an amazing
2: yep.
1: place. Uh, well, I've, I've been to a few different countries, so obviously they're all quite different. But yeah. seeing giraffes in the wild, you would be shocked, like, how graceful they are. Oh, yeah. At least I was. I thought they'd be kind of, you know, a little stumbly or whatever.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Uh, and they, they're they incredibly camouflaged. Oh, wow. Which Again, you'd it's yeah. this gigantic creature, but no, yeah. no, they're you're you're like staring as like the guides like, yeah, there's a giraffe right there, okay, I'm looking, <laughs> oh, it's right start. there, I can
0: touch it oh, <laughs> <laughs> <Right, laughs> it's right. chewing on my shoulder
1: uh, yeah, not quite that yeah. bad
0: <laughs> um well, that's that's very. Cool.
1: I think i uh for me when I look at them, I think about the experience of painting them, yeah, they and I can kind more. of remember you know like i can remember i knew i wanted a light bulb but i wanted it to be a little bit of a different light bulb mm-hmm. and so there's like yeah. this light bulb and a lamp dust, yeah like desk lamp yeah um and i think like the giraffe or or uh, the elephant elephant and the giraffe. i both like the way those were drawn i think yeah i think especially the giraffe because it's kind of like this real fat body
2: and yeah
0: if there's a there's a cartoony vibe to it which is very cool let me ask this of the cards is there um because we have this with ubuntu but is there a feature of the climber cards or a way to use them that you think that uh you'd love everyone to know that maybe they don't know or an intention when you were making these i wish people know this but they use them in the same way they use the metaphors but they don't know this one thing about the cards is there something in climber cards that you wish people knew more about
2: Yes. I love
1: that question. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So most people, particularly facilitators and the, you know, whether corporate trainer or outdoor ed are familiar with the way of, you know, laying them out, posing a question, asking people, you know, select a card that represents X, mm-hmm. whatever the yeah. definition of leadership represents who you are, that kind of thing. Um, and I, I'm, I love using them that way. I think it can be really powerful. But another way that I use it quite a bit, and this is bringing in my lens of um, teaching creativity and innovation, mm-hmm. is I. Anytime I'm I'm teaching creativity, I just completely avoid the classic brainstorming technique because everybody's done it. Mm-hmm. Most people have had a miserable experience at some point where you know, within three ideas, somebody says, "Oh no, that's not going to work." We yeah. did that in 1985, you know.
2: <laughs> yeah.
1: <laughs> um, So I, I I introduce a number of different techniques to generate ideas. And one of them is using climber cards. Mm
2: -hmm.
1: And so you lay all the cards out on the table and simply ask, um, what ideas do you get from the images? And it, it kind of just can go wild from there, which is really the point is you want to like, I don't know, maybe the candle sparks that, we should do our next training program in the dark and everybody gets candles. Like mm-hmm. it could be very literal that way, yeah. or it might be something more metaphoric, but and there's some interesting research around how, if we're like, we're trying to generate ideas, it can be helpful to have some different inputs. Mm-hmm. And so the 50 cards in the deck offer different inputs in that moment.
2: So, yeah. Wow. I love that. A,
1: yeah. That's a fun technique.
0: Moving beyond this now, where do you see the future of the industry going as you've been on the road and you've been experiencing and, and you're, you're, you've got your own business and wh- where do you see the future of the industry? Facilitating groups and doing team development and the work you do around creativity, are you seeing it go in a positive trend that more people are interested or is it plateauing or what, where, how are you seeing it and perceiving it?
1: As technology has advanced, I think that in some cases there's been like, Oh, we can just learn that online. We don't need to go and do that in person. And there are certain things where I feel like absolutely that's true. Yeah. Um, and I honestly, I think I'm, I just geek out about technology. Actually, I think <laughs> I'm young enough that it wasn't, yeah. it wasn't uh, like, it wasn't completely native, but it was young enough. I'm young yeah. enough that it wasn't like really scary, I guess. Yeah. And I just love it. Yeah. Um, but so I think that there's that element, and at the same time, I think maybe more than ever, people are really craving experiences. Mm-hmm. And I think as facilitators and trainers, that our job is to really create an experience for people. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, like they can learn some, they can read a book, they can learn some things on a podcast or through a training, and and sometimes that's really valuable. But what kind of experience can we create?
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And so I think. There's a direction in that way. And I see, I I work with a number, I work with a lot of like corporations and companies, both big and small. And they're willing to pay for that because they know that's so important. And that can be really transformative and help their employees grow and do their jobs better. Mm -hmm. Um, I also think at the same time that most people have been to trainings before. They have like a low tolerance for, just what feels like fluffy oh, and yeah. not
2: robust enough. Yeah,
1: I think that there's a craving for experience, and there's a lower tolerance for just what feels fluffy or not robust enough.
0: Yeah, and there seemed to be. I feel like that we we experience the same thing. There is, um, we've almost had to get rid of the word team building from our repertoire of language, even though the. The, the actual meat of it, what we were doing is not different. We just had to market it slightly differently to accommodate for that, like rolling the eyes of oh, kumbaya nonsense, you know, like the, that was what we were trying to do. But the experience is still massively craved. The people come through the door, no matter what we do, if it's they were doing a training or they're doing a team development program. The, they leave, They come in so, somewhat skeptical and we have to work a little harder to try to knock that veneer off or knock that, that, the blinkers off or the defensive wall. And then once they're in, they're in. But it's I do see, see that there's, the value for experience is still there, but the resistance is a little bit greater than it possibly was 10 years prior. Um, because of a lot of programming that wasn't hitting the mark, which is, which has value. I think there's a lot of these team bonding programs out there, but unfortunately, we sometimes get lumped into team bonding and it's like, yeah, yeah, we're not doing paintball. We're, you know, we're really looking at an experience there with people, but
1: I'm not quite yeah. sure how shooting your teammates helps them bond, but that's just me.
0: <laughs> I know. It's, it's wild to me too, but it's out there. <laughs> and they were over right, team building. Yeah. yeah.
1: And I, I mean, I feel kind of like, you know, we're the ones who created this problem. Like oh. we as experiential educators, Absolutely. outdoor educators, we um, for better or for worse, like there've been days, I'm not time recently in the last several years, mm-hmm. but there have been, you know, 15 years ago where I can remember like leading a program. And I had almost no thought into what I was doing as far as like, yeah, I got a list of activities. Here's the group, throw these two things together. Mm-hmm. And Now I, 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 and maybe that's the other piece there is I feel like the best programs are incredibly thoughtful about what Mm -hmm. you're doing and why you're doing it. And you're not really doing anything unless there's an actual purpose to it.
0: Yeah. And I, I would say that's what I think that a lot of our clients benefit from the work that we do. And my assumption is not knowing your programming, but your clients get the same thing from you. And, uh, someone recently wrote, and it was a really nice quote that was saying that there are certain organizations and people out there who are stewards of the soul of the industry. Oh, so cool. we we have to keep the, the industry viable, but also of a quality that is, you know, gets rid of some of that fluff and that has that thoughtful intention we won't do programming that will be like two hours long and, you know, it just doesn't fit the goals. And people will always c- call us and say, can we come out and play on the challenge course? Because it's a giant, you know, playground of experience. But we have to say, no, these are tools for educational purposes and that's our point there. And I think people value that and enjoy that experience when you do that that way. I think we're coming up, or oh, we've got like five minutes left. Um If you had any places you're going, any new products, any new um, uh, adventures you're embarking in. And you'd like to share that. That'd be awesome to do that.
2: Sure. Yeah,
1: absolutely. Um, So there's two things that I'd love to share. The first is I have a program that is new-ish, launched it several months ago. It's called the Deliberate Facilitator. And it's actually an online mentoring program specifically for Facilitators who are at like an intermediate to advanced level, mm-hmm. and so maybe that maybe they've been working in the field for you know anywhere from like three, five, ten years. Actually, I've had people in the course who've been in the field for twenty years, and at that point, like solid facilitator. Yep, no problem. I can lead a group, but kind of feeling maybe a bit stagnant. And how mm-hmm. do I move to that next level? Mm-hmm. And I had this big aha. Uh-huh. In my own growth, probably like 10, 12 years ago, where I had been leading team building programs for about a decade and just felt like there was something more. And so I started bringing in um, things from outside of the world of experiential led, like bringing in some of the research around teams and research around leadership. Mm-hmm. And I've found that when I integrate that into programs, then the experience for the participants is so much greater. Mm-hmm. Um so I developed this program this year to to um to help others learn that. Yeah. And so I don't know when this episode will launch. So the next cohort will start in January twenty twenty. Okay. And it's you can be anywhere. We've had people from Singapore, from Australia, all over the US.
2: Oh, that's um, awesome. Which is really cool. Yeah.
1: And then so that's one thing I have, a new thing that I've been pretty excited about. And The other thing that, and I don't actually talk about this much. Um, in fact, I don't, that's not really like on my website, but I have been asked by people over the last year or two of, Hey, can I work with you and can you help me be an independent, you know, uh, Mm -hmm. trainer, facilitator? And so I've been doing some coaching and working with people one on one. And so if that's something, you might be interested in those of you listening, then feel free to reach out to me.
0: I will put into our description, um, an email they can reach you at. Um, so if anyone wants to reach out, they can do. Um, and thank you so much, Amy. I've enjoyed it. I, we could talk for a long time. I'm sure like for, this never seems long enough, but, uh, but thank you for taking the time and being willing to chat with us.
1: Yeah, my pleasure. Thanks for having me, Phil.
0: can do it again
2: thanks for listening
0: and can you say uh, thanks for listening to high five
2: <laughs> thanks for listening to high
1: five
0: <laughs> and then what about thanks for listening to high fives podcast can you do it
2: okay try thanks for giving awesome good pasta guy. <laughs> <laughs>